0: you ever wondered about the wild activities that go on at a bar? Well, that wondering ends right now. Welcome to the Open Bar Talk podcast, where host Jim Search sits down with bartenders near and far to hear the whopping tales that only a drink slinger has. So buckle in, have a cold one, and enjoy. All right, we're doing this. This is going to be dope. I'm super pumped. It's going to happen. It is season three. We are in our third season of the Open Bar Talk podcast. I'm very excited to introduce our guest here in just a moment. Uh, but if you're wondering who I am and you're new to the show, my name is Jim Search. Uh, you can find me at jimsearchcomedy.com. I make that super easy for you. Um, also, if you're uh, you know looking for this podcast itself, you can. Open Bar Talk. At gmail.com is a good place to find us. And also, be sure to follow us on Instagram uh, at OpenBarTalk. And also, a fun thing I'm doing and have been doing is every Thursday or Friday, I come out with uh, saucy stories. Uh, These are the stories of my fucking crazy days in the bar world. And I'm very excited to bring that to you. So, you know, be sure to uh, check those out and uh, fucking look at them and enjoy them because I lived a crazy motherfucking bar life in a different time. So without further ado, uh, season three, our first episode, I'm very excited to uh, have uh, this guest on, uh, you know, met way back in the, the days of stand up when uh, I was a fledgling, fledgling comedian. Uh, very funny dude coming to come us from the great state of Massachusetts. I'm pumped, uh, James Martin. How are you, sir? How's it going, my friend? I'm
1: doing great. I'm doing great. I feel like this is the podcast of James's.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This motherfucking right. And on top of that, as we uh, talked a little bit about uh, that before the show, is that uh, I my la- my middle name is Martin, and your last name is Martin. So what a t- you know what a t- search. Yeah, well, your yeah, your middle name is Search, uh, so that works. So, like, let's just James say James Search it. Martin. James Search Martin. I'm James Martin Search. It's, I mean, we're, what, we're here. We're here it's to do this. It's easy to
1: find it. on the internet.
0: Yeah, yeah. You could say you could even search for it. Thank you and good night. This is the shortest yeah, podcast yeah, and scene, it's not gonna get better than this, folks. Uh, we it. are two minutes, two minutes in. Minutes. That was our a material right there. Yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not gonna give you uh, much more than that. So if you were tuning in for some real uh, rapier-like wit, uh, I'm very sorry. That, that yeah. you not gonna get it. Uh, but you know what? Uh, again, super pumped to have you uh, on the on the pod here, sir. Uh, yeah, so yeah. tell us a little bit about uh, your uh, your origin story. How did you get into the game of, uh, of bartending? Uh,
1: interestingly enough, I was uh, I, I became a bartender while I was in college, and uh, I have a mechanical engineering degree. Okay, non practicing, uh, and I just got into bartending to like pay my tuition and uh, pay for my rent. And it just kind of uh, progressed from there because I realized over the course of the past two decades that uh, mechanical engineering sucks and bartending is way more fun. So <laughs> it just kind of progressed from that standpoint. And, uh, you know, like my $300 bartending course was way more. And you just wrote a book about it. You know, you $70,000 mm-hmm.
0: phone, phone yeah. charge.
1: Uh, so you get it. So like, yeah, like 300 bucks. Was uh, way more uh, meaningful to me than the sixty thousand dollars I, I spent for like my entire college co- tuition. So, like, here we both are, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, it uh, it's interesting how we paid a bunch of money to learn this is not the thing that we really wanted to do, and that right. in your case, bartending only caught... So, you did bartending school before you got yeah, into the game.
1: Yeah, I'm, I, I graduated uh, magna cum laude. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, w- with honors. I mean, I'm assuming John Taffer was a keynote uh, speaker at the graduation. Is that? Yeah, they yeah. gave me an inaugural
1: black eye. It was great. <laughs> mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. As uh, as one should receive. So now, so you did bartending school, right? Um, you know, in the you know, we're in our third season. So you know, I've talked with bartenders uh, near and far some have done bartending school, others have not. Would you say, like, all of it was transferable? Like, everything that you took from bartending school, were you able to apply into the real world, like, the real turf? Or was there some shit that, like, they just, like, oh, I didn't know this was how this worked? You know what I mean? I, f- I feel like
1: bartending school is just literally a scaled-down version of college. Okay. I have learned shit in college that I would have taken to the applicable like real world job site. Mm-hmm. I didn't learn any of that. It was it was all it was all theoretical. There was no application. And like bartending school is kind of the same way. They teach you, you know, like 50, 60, 70 drinks at a time that you just don't register right. until you actually start making like 10 of those drinks a day. And like it's that repetition and it's the the real life application that like actually gets you to memorize the drinks like you know like i mean i'm never gonna make a slow comfortable screw against the wall (laughs) anybody that's uh over the under the age of like 75 but i learned how to make them in bartending school and like that like it's like just shitty like nonsense drinks like that that you Mm -hmm. get absorbed in bartending school that you'll never use right right Uh, you're always gonna make martinis you're always gonna make manhattans you're always gonna make margaritas right Uh, so like that's that's what you learn to do over the course of you know repetition over and over again, like day by day, a dozen times a day.
0: Gotcha. And you know, I think with that too, because uh, you know, I did bartending school as well. Um, I never uh, crossed over into the actual world, but I had it in my uh, wheelhouse at one point. Join us. Yeah, I, man, look, uh, when the bar's open, uh, for real, uh, that may not be too far away. But uh, I guess what I was going to say was, is you also learn that you have to have uh, your liquor, your well liquors in the right spots, right? You can't sure, just yeah. throw them underneath because a part of that muscle memory is you know reaching for exactly where things right, are supposed yeah. to be, right? So I think that's like, you know one of the things that folks, I know I didn't know before I got into bartending school. Um, now, so let me ask you, you did bartending school, right? And then you were, you, you were working a college bar. Like
1: I, I worked in like mom and pop, like restaurants. So, uh, I, I kind of rose through the ranks, like in Fairhaven of like mom and pop restaurants. Okay. Uh, you know, like seafood joints, um, And I started managing the bar, the restaurant that I was at, like daytime manager, before I moved to New York City. And then it was like, you know, like medium-sized fish in small pond meets massive pond.
0: Right, right, Uh, right.
1: Massive, like basically jumping in the ocean. And the crazy thing is like I moved to New York City on a – it was a Wednesday. And I had a job. I had a bartending job by Friday. Which Shit. never, never, ever, ever happens. Uh, I had a job within two days of moving to the city just by, like, walking down 2nd Ave and literally, you know, doing, like, like, you know, doing, you know, kicking rocks and handing my resume out to, like, every place that I walked by. And I walked up and down 2nd Ave for, you know, miles and miles. And I got the call back, like, that afternoon. Shit, and all man. of a sudden, they were like, hey, come in on Friday. Uh, and it was kind of off to the races after that point. That's
0: that is like a very right. un- unicorn uh, origin story, yeah. right? Yeah. What what bar? What was the what was the bar?
1: Uh, it was this place called uh, Solace that was off of. Uh, it was between uh, First and New York Ave on like 62nd Street. So it was like almost like it was. Oh god, it was like almost. I guess that would be... It was, like, right above the uh, the tram. Okay. To, uh, like, to... Um, Roosevelt Island. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, like, I commuted there, like, every day. And, uh, I mean, like, I hadn't even learned the subway system yet. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I was still, like, that kind of, like... I, I was so fresh to the city. Mm-hmm. I was in, like, tourist mode. Like, I had never even visited the city before I moved there. And I just, <laughs> like, like, got plopped down like a like a fresh turd into the city and I was like <laughs> kind of left to my own devices uh, and it kind of kind of worked out well
0: yeah it was well I was gonna say like you land on Wednesday job by Friday yeah and yeah. then you have to kind of figure it out now so you're working at Solus, right yeah what's the vibe there is it tell us a little was, bit about it
1: it was very high-end and uh it was like just underneath like what everybody basically considers like the upper east side
0: mm-hmm. so
1: uh i had a lot of uh i had a lot of like generational money is what i would call it uh generational money but like not not specifically from like white people there was like a very diverse group of like generational money so i had i had white people i had uh like an interracial couple like a white woman and her japanese husband I had uh, Manjari, who was like one of my favorite like um, Indian regulars that, that came in there. But like all, the, it, you could you could get the sense that the the kind of through line for all of them was uh, was that they were they were well established. You know, mm-hmm. like they had money, and uh, it was it was pretty it was great. It was fascinating to see like uh, this this wide range of of culture. Um, that I didn't necessarily have exposure to, you know, growing up around here right. in Massachusetts, you know. So it was, it was, it was a lot of fun. And like again, like it was, it was like sensory overload for me, you know. I mean, I had just moved to the city for the first time. Um, I was experiencing all these new things. I was being exposed to, you know, like these effortlessly like wealthy people. Sure. Uh, did kind of they they were you know in their own sense kind of down to earth and they accepted me. And uh, it was like a lot of fun. It, it was like it was it was all like a crazy learning experience and mm-hmm. kind of you no know, growing experience too.
0: Now uh, let me ask you: were saying you know sensory overload, which I can imagine because you're seeing so many different people, so many different stories all at once. What what, what were some of those crazier moments uh, when you were, were there?
1: It was. I think like the quintessential one for me. So like, you know, I moved, I moved into U-Haul uh, from where I am in Massachusetts to, you know, obviously Brooklyn. I lived in Brooklyn the entire time. Uh, so, you know, that's like an eight hour trip, like in a U-Haul. And uh, I remember the next day, cause my friend already had a job. That was, my roommate had a job in Manhattan. So he was like, come to Manhattan with me. Come, come hang out at my job for a little bit and then go from there and start handing out your resumes. And when I got out of Penn Station for the first time, like getting out of the subway at Penn Station, and then like kind of having that wide scope of like looking over, like, you know, seeing all the skyscrapers tower above me over Penn Station and like kind of soundtrack I was listening to, like on the ride there, uh, Kanye West Flashing Lights <laughs> was like one of like, and that, that song immediately started playing in my head when I just had that panoramic scope of like looking at the skyscrapers above me and all of a sudden I started hearing flashing, flashing, lights, lights, you know, and, mm-hmm. and that's that was like my that was my moment when it like all came into focus. I was like, whoa, like I'm I'm here now. Like I'm in deep water, you know? Right. Like right now right. I have to learn how to tread, you know? Uh, and it was like it was it was for me terrifying but more so than anything else it was just like man like land of opportunity you know like i Mm -hmm. was i was more excited than i was terrified and yeah i was terrified but like it was it was you know the land the city that never sleeps uh and the land of like essentially like infinite opportunity and i heard that song in my head and i was like yeah this is where i need to be like I'm, i'm where i need to be i'm gonna make this happen
0: and then uh and then it did now when you were at the bar right you must have had those moments where you're like, "Who the fuck is this person?" and I've never met anybody like that. do you remember was there any yeah, like like,
1: that? like well kind of kind of bougie you know like i you know like i got to I got to New York, and I had that concept of of kind of what bougie what I thought bougie was, but again, that was like my concept was big fish and small pond bougie, and mm-hmm. like when I got to the big city. Then I realized, oh wow! Like these people have had money, you know, since like their great great grandparents, and like it's a whole nother level. You know, when you have that old money, it kind of, it kind of like it's weird, but it kind of – for the right kind of people, it humanizes them. You know, because they're so done with being treated kind of like rich people. Okay, and there's a lot of people like that, but like it, it kind of erased that stigma that rich is evil. You know, you can you can be a decent human being. And still have in, having inherited millions of dollars, you know right. it's, it's possible to do that you're not evil by proxy by having money you know and I, and I learned that, and th- that was good that was like that kind of like renewed my sense my my faith in humanity a little bit when I was like, okay, like rich people aren't evil, you know like rich people can be cool too, and they can they can look at you like a, like a fucking human being like anybody else, and that's cool so i I kind of like eased my way into that as well, and that was that was good to say
0: so like you know, you were able to kind of, I guess, pull out humanity out of yeah. a stereotypical, like, oh, these guys are assholes. You know what right. I mean?
1: yeah.
0: Now, so that was soulless, right? Yep. What, you, you work, did you work somewhere else after that? Like, walk, bring us, bring us through so, the New York City world.
1: So, I, I moved to New York City, in October, on October 6th,
0: 2008. Okay.
1: So that was right before everything shit the bed. Mm
0: -hmm. So
1: like as far as like the recession and everything happened. So I was only at Solace for three months. uh, And as of New Year's Eve going into 2009, they closed up shop.
0: Oh, shit. Uh,
1: So as of like at the start of 2009, I was again unemployed. I was jobless. Uh, and like like I said, like everything kind of bottomed out as of March, like in 2009 when everything was just down. Um, so I started working at kind of this uh, – it, it, it's kind of this well-known, was a well-known Mexican restaurant uh, in Turtle Bay. So on second – between like 50 and 51st, like actually right near the Lipstick Building, like where uh-huh. Bernie Madoff. Was getting lambasted at the time, like that was like that media circus was happening at the new job that I picked up, like literally in March of 2009. I got the new, I got the job at Zarella uh, at that year, and uh, so I don't know if anybody out there is familiar with uh, the celebrity chef Aaron Sanchez.
0: Uh,
1: so I worked for his mom. Uh, he's this. Uh, he's he's like this uh, tatted up. Like a uh, uh, Mexican chef, okay. and uh, okay. he does Mexican cuisine, and like it's phenomenal. It's it's like you know it's it's amazing traditional Mexican cuisine. So I worked for his mom, who essentially taught him like everything he knows, uh, and I got exposed to like all this amazing, like very very tip like very traditional Mexican cuisine.
0: Okay,
1: uh, like the states of Jalisco and Oaxaca. And uh, and and all these things, all these exposures that I wouldn't have been able to 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 find anywhere else. And I, I really like grew a love for like that very traditional, not Tex-Mex, like very like coming from uh, Mexico. Like I I ate fried cockroaches, you know? Oh <laughs> like, shit! Yeah, and man, like they're just they're just cockroach-shaped chips. Like that's essentially what they are, you know? Like that's all they are. They're like potato chips shaped like cockroaches. Well, like, I was gonna
0: ask, like it sounds essentially like a potato chip with protein.
1: Yeah, Just pretty much. That's exactly what it is. So, like, I, I, I worked there for, like, three years, and I got absorbed by that whole... And I, I that was the place where, like, I met a lot of, like, household name celebrities. Okay. And I met them, and, you know, and I, I got to be uh, regulars with them. So, Wallace Shawn, uh, mm-hmm. you know... Inconceivable! That guy from... Right, Prince right, Pride, right. Uh, and, you know, he used the... the uh, he was the teacher in Clueless, and he's done. And he's a playwright, so he's done like a bunch of like plays on like uh, like Broadway and Off Broadway. But like he came in, and you know he's he's recognizable, and like he came in, and he couldn't have been like the sweet more sweet. Like he was the nicest guy.
0: What did he and, drink? Uh, what was What was his drink?
1: His drink. Uh, I think he. I think he drank Cabernet. I think he was like a red wine drinker. And um the thing is, like he was this like, you know, he's this little diminutive guy. And uh his son is like his son could be a linebacker. He was like six <laughs> foot four and like two hundred and fifty pounds. Right. But he was like the like the the sweetest, like most jovial gay guy you'll ever meet in your entire life. <laughs> and like so it was that like stark like contrast between like Wallace Shawn being like, you know, like very down to earth and low key and his son kind of being like fabulous and like like, but like his like they were so awesome like his son and like his boyfriend was the same way he was like kind of like a, a larger kind of like i guess for lack of a better term like a bare gay guy right but they were both like those jovial like life of the party like guys and like it was, it was just like that amazing juxtaposition when they came in. It was always like that fun time. <laughs> um, Dre Matteo, who a lot of people would recognize mm-hmm. as uh, Adriana from The Sopranos.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Dude, like, I had so much of a crush on her like for the entire run of the series. You're not alone. In, not yeah. alone. Oh, yeah. And uh, she came in with uh, her uh, husband who happens to be uh, Shooter Jennings, which is Waylon Jennings' son. Oh, wow.
0: Okay. And,
1: yeah, so so there was that, again, they would come in and, like, so Shooter and her would come in with, like, their daughter, who was probably, like, four or five at the time, and their daughter couldn't have been more adorable. But they were those, like, those kind of, like, aging metalheads. Like, so Shooter (laughs) would come in and he'd be wearing dark sunglasses at night with a long beard and the hair, and he'd be like, what's up, dude? I'll just take cranberry because you could take, like like just he didn't drink. just you cranberry tell, like he lived a long life and he had done mm. his drinking so he was like yeah dude I'm reformed and mm-hmm. Andrea DiMatteo was like what's up fam how's it going like with her deep raspy voice Uh-huh. and uh, she was just like what's up babe how's it going like it's good to see you and like they were they were it again it was one of those situations where I saw these people that were that were rock stars you know they were they were legit rock stars and they came from like rock star. Uh, hierarchy, and mm-hmm. they treated me like it made their day to see me, and I was like, "Man, like these people are—it's—it's it's so cool to have this experience, you know."
0: What did? What was her drink? What do you remember her drink? Her drink was,
1: I, I, I think she had like a sprite or something because she was—I think she drank, but she was doing it in respect for Shooter uh, okay. because yeah, uh, yeah, he yeah. was like—I—I I, I don't know if he was like. Uh, if he had gone through a program, or like if I don't know what the situation was, but like, so he never drank, he always had a cranberry juice, right? So she did, like, she didn't drink in respect for him,
0: mm hmm. Uh, okay. So,
1: and like, they were, yeah, so and and I, I saw that part of it too is like, you know, people potentially coming out of something and coming out of a life and and you know, bettering themselves and and going like, you know, like it, that was fun but that's in the past, and I've, I've moved on, I've grown, I've become a better person. Right. So now I'm this guy, but I'm still fucking Shooter Jennings.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm still him. Don't... I'm still going
1: to wear my shades. I'm still going to wear my, my Wayfares at like 9.30 at night in the, in the middle of a restaurant in Manhattan.
0: Because I'm allowed to
1: do it. Exactly.
0: Now, so this, I mean, from what you're saying, this sounds like Celebrity Haven, like, bar, yeah. you know, the celebrity, the bar of celebrities.
1: Right. Uh, yeah. This, this was certainly the bar where I met a, a sizable amount of celebrities. See what
0: mm-hmm. Now, what was there any sort of chaotic nights that went down there, or was this a little too classy for it? No. This was
1: <laughs> so. Um, so this. Let me preface this by saying. The way we made margaritas there, now, Zarela Martinez is very, very traditionalist. She, again, she grew up in Oaxaca and Jalisco. Uh, so, for our mes- Mexican friends out there, um, Oaxaca is a very mountainous region. It's got like a lot of hills and valleys. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, a lot of small towns and villages. So, she grew up very much in like rural Mexico. Uh, so, the way they made traditional margaritas out there was literally like, and I'm, this is an exaggeration, like 45% tequila, 45% triple sec, and then like literally like two fingers of fresh lime juice on the top of that. Oh, you know? So like this drink was literally like 90% alcohol.
0: Jesus Christ.
1: But, dude, it was mixed in such a way that it didn't taste like alcohol. And like, so nobody realized that. And like we would have to make disclaimers for people that came up to the bar and we'd say like, look, if this is your first time here, Go easy on these because this has way more alcohol in it than you think. And, like, Zarella would not allow us to to, to essentially water it down. You know, right, like right, the, right, 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 this this, right. These were her babies, you know. This was her template. So, like, you had to serve these drinks as strong as they were. So we would tell people, like, look, take it easy. I know they're delicious, but don't drink... Like more than two of these an hour? Are you going to be like you're going to be gonna fucked? Be
0: asked or heard. Yeah. And, and also, you know, that's the thing. Like when you have like a really good cocktail, and if it's mixed well and it's balanced enough, you don't you're not supposed to taste the overwhelming power right, of alcohol, yeah. right? So this sounds like one of those. Now, yeah. I would I would assume at least that uh, even though you said, "Hey, only have two an hour," someone's like, mm, "I'll have four. Because that's how that goes. Yeah. And so we were,
1: on top of that, we were a uh, double floor bar. So we had two floors. We had a dining room on the bottom floor. We had a dining room on the top floor. So you can imagine, like, with people getting all muffed up on super strong tequilas and having to navigate (laughs) going up and down a staircase, that adds uh, a little bit of stickiness to the situation. And I can't tell you the amount of times I've seen people fall Ass over tea kettles, up and down the staircase, <laughs> and like and dude, like it's it's so much so the leniency in in serving drinks in Manhattan is different from anywhere else. A lot of places on the face of the planet, because for. The, the most part, we know people aren't driving themselves. We see people walk up off the street, or we see p- people get out of a taxi or an Uber, a mm-hmm. Lyft, what have you. There wasn't Uber or Lyft at that point, but like people were getting out of taxis, people were walking. They were walking from their townhouses, or you know, getting getting rides, or you know, taking a trip from the subway. So these people weren't driving. So you know, we were obliged to serve them, even if they were kind of like, meh, you know, like kind uh-huh. of. Right, right, right. Uh, so that lent itself to situations where people would get way drunk and like even with our <laughs> discretion going like, man, like take it easy and we had people we had couples like feel each other up like at mm-hmm. bar seats, and we had people you know just fall pass out dead cold in our in like in our door jam, <laughs> falling down the stairs like banging rails of coke off off like the 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 toilets in the bathroom like every kind of like holy shit almost debauchery like mm-hmm. it, it was it was that almost it was like it was like the scene before the orgy you know like it right, was right. always that was we were like the we were like the the promo we were the the teaser up until these people left the bar and they're like all right orgy time <laughs> that was us that was they were they we were the pregame before I was gonna that say, all went
0: down you are the pregame before yeah. a night of sin Sure. Uh, it sounds like holy shit man now you were there for 3 years right yeah. what um where did you go after that after that uh i think that's actually where i met you uh i started i
1: started uh working at this bar 739 franklin in Britain, ah yeah on yeah franklin yeah. f yeah and dude like my my girlfriend at the time was was hosting the comedy night and I had never done stand-up before, uh, but she was mm-hmm. like, "Hey, you're funny. Do you want to like do a set on my show?" And it was, I was like, "Yeah, sure. Like, you know, give me like two days to you know write some material." I'd right, right, always right. been like a fan of comedy, so like it gave me that exposure. So yeah, like I, I, I wrote some material and I, I did a set at Lauren's show, Lauren Gavian, mm-hmm. and uh, and it was like kind of off to the races after that <sighs> because I did that first show. And it was weird because like I crushed it. You know, like I got like I got that, that, that laugh every like I hit every single joke and like everybody was feeling me. And I've never had a fucking show that good since, you know. It's kind of like comedy's that drug, right? Like chasing it's that, chasing that dragon. The dragon of like that first pure high, you know?
0: Oh yeah. And that's what I
1: had when, when I first started doing comedy at 739 franklin where i met you right, uh, right, through right. Barn. and uh you know what the funny thing is, is that um i met uh michelle wolf
0: mm. mm-hmm. during
1: those those early days too this was like circa like late 2013
0: yeah and yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. i remember going like doing my set and like two sets later michelle wolf would come on and i remember watching her and like so this was like a small box of a room, like in the back of the bar. So you remember it was like yeah, it was, like, oh yeah. it was yep. like sixty square feet. And I Michelle Wolf that. with like her booming voice, she was like, So let me tell you about Chardonnay.
0: <laughs> and like she just
1: filled that room, like filled the bar and like filled the, the streets outside, like the sidewalks outside. And I, but man, she was great and I remember thinking, God damn, like she's funny. Like I hope she gets exposure, like I hope she gets found she and did like sure enough yeah, and she did <laughs> and <then> she did <laughs> and i'm watching so i moved back to massachusetts and like 2 weeks after I'm, i i moved back like i'm sitting in my parents living room on their couch and i'm watching like like jimmy fallon and all of a sudden michelle wolf's doing the spot on jimmy fallon and i'm like
0: that makes here sense. here we go
1: it's off to the races she she made it good for her
0: yeah i mean you know it is interest- it's interesting to you know kind of little uh veer off the bartending path but like when you see those comics that you're like yeah they got it like yeah. this is this is the one and she's definitely one of those that i saw coming up and i was like yeah she's an amazing joke writer now you were working so you were at uh 739 franklin which i have been to as you, yeah, we know but the listeners out there uh wonderful bar uh, rest in peace 739 franklin
1: yeah they're not there anymore
0: yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know what it is now, but you know, obviously Franklin Ave has turned over uh quite a bit. Um what, you know, for the listeners who don't know, uh tell us a little bit about 739 Franklin because I mean, obviously I know the drill, but you know, what what was your what was your experience like working there?
1: I man, it was it was so much fun. Like I had so much fun at that bar. Uh, and, like, I just got brought on, like, family. Like, so it was a family-owned bar. Uh-huh. Uh, so the family that owned it, uh, they were grenaded. So uh, Gabe and his daughter Ariana uh, owned the bar. And they it had, they had just opened, I think, like, about three months or so before they hired me. And I had I literally lived on Sterling Ave, uh, like, four houses down from them. And I was like, oh, word, there's, like, you know, a new... Uh, bar like right on my corner that I can walk down to. Like I'll check it out, and I started hanging out uh, at the bar. And Gabe's son um, offered me the job like three days after after just hanging out there shooting the shit. Shit, I was man. Like, Oh man, this place this place seems cool. Like and I can walk to work. I can literally walk two minutes to work. So like it's and there were so there there were like a couple other like white. Uh, bartenders that were there That kind of that kind of phased out And did their own thing So it was It was kind of weird Because like It was that juxtaposition Where at one point I was kind of like That token white guy At the bar
0: <laughs> And
1: But man I loved it Because like Everybody like There was so much love From Brooklyn And like All like all my favorite people From there Like You know Like Ishmael And Prince And mm-hmm. uh, I'm name dropping now And uh, like So many of those people I met Um uh, I met who introduced himself as Craig at the time, but uh, but he was Cool Breeze, who worked with John Forte.
0: Oh, yeah, Mike yeah, John,
1: yeah. Uh, and, like, so on the Carnival albums. Shit, uh, man. And he, he had a couple credits there, but he was known as Cool Breeze. He was known as, like, Buggy Bear. And uh, so, like, you can see his his name and the liners in the credits of, like, the Carnival That's albums. That's dope, man. And, like, so... But, like, I hung out with him just as Craig. Uh, and he – so he he drank Coco Locos with uh, some grenadine in him. Oof. And so, like, we would so we would hang out and we'd just shoot the shit, me and Craig. And, like, man, he's a great conversationalist. And uh, so we'd hang out after the bar closed and he would just, like, you know, shoot the shit while I was closing a bar. And at one point he, like, pulled me aside and he was like, dude, you know who I am, right? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, dude, you're Craig. He was like, no, like use <laughs> right. that, that dawning comprehension. He was like, alright, so um cool breeze, aka like Buggy Bear like, I was one of the engineers working with John Forte and Left, like on the carnival albums. And like that's when my face kinda of dropped. I was like, Whoa, <laughs> <You know? laughs>
0: Because he was
1: just this nonchalant, like, chill, down-to-earth dude that, like, was one of
0: my favorite people
1: and just shot the shit with. That's funny. And all of a sudden, like, he's this really talented engineer on these amazing albums that I grew up with, you know?
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, it is funny when, like, you meet those folks and very unassuming, you have no clue when the other shoe drops and you're like, so how are you this nice? Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, exactly. normally, that's not what that looks like, right? Um, so he was, so he was a favorite regular, right? He's one of the yep. faves. Um, and he's in the neighborhood. He lives. Is he
1: a? I don't know if he's still there because, like, sadly, I haven't, I haven't been back to the city since I moved back in 2014. Right, right, uh, right. You know, I've always, like, it's, it's been one thing or another. I've just been kind of busy with, with things around here. Um. And I need to go back, you know, like I, I, I miss that place so much. So I need to just get in touch with uh, some of my friends and, and be like, hey, dude, can I, can I surf on your couch for a few days? I just need to get back to the city. But, I mean, I, I, I know he was – so when I left, he was still kind of doing like low-key uh, promotions. He was, he was putting together like uh, low-key like concerts like in the area. And that's, that's when the Barclays Center was uh, – first started popping off when it right. first opened. Uh, so I know he did a couple uh, events there when they first opened. As far as I know, he's still in the area, but that could okay. be one way or
0: the other, you know? Now, you, so you moved back uh, in 2014. Uh, were you bartending when you got back to Massachusetts?
1: I didn't have a job lined up. Uh, I was actually, me and Lauren were going to move in together, but she was like, I'm going to go to L.A. And I'm like, okay, good luck. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't well, know if then. that panned out or not but uh so uh yeah that was the whole impetus of me like moving home is that we were supposed to move in together start a life together sure and sure. then like two weeks after i got home she was like oh i changed my mind i want to be a personal trainer in la and i'm like oh well you should probably start being a personal trainer somewhere else other than la before you start <laughs> you know before yeah. you go into the deep end of the ocean
0: yeah you um, might want to maybe personal train in ohio and then yeah, maybe, maybe exactly. work but, uh, work west, right?
1: Yeah. But she wasn't really here on that, so I mean, God bless. I hope she's great. Right. Uh, right. but yeah, I, I, I moved back and I got a I got a job in kind of uh, short stead when I got back here. But like I was kinda like an emotional train wreck. Sure. I was sure. Like I I like everything that I had set up for moving back had kind of like fallen through. I, I didn't have the woman that I was going to set up a life with. So like I started like boozing it real hard.
0: Um, I, so you were on the other side of the bar yeah, at this point. Yeah,
1: well, I was on both sides. That was the problem. But <laughs> the side of the bar I was working on had all the booze on it. Yeah. So I was like, you know, drink for the guest, five for me. Drink for the guest, five for me. Yeah. Uh, and that didn't work out too well when I was closing out like my register and I couldn't remember... Closing out the bar, or locking the doors at the end of the night because I was so fucking shit faced. Where, where um, this so, was yeah, in? I, I went through a string of jobs. Wh-
0: wh- I was gonna say, was this in Massachusetts when you got yeah. back? Okay, gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Uh, yeah, that uh, that could that could be a problem.
1: <laughs> Which, and it was, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: Well, uh, I'm uh, glad uh, glad you were on the other side of that, right? You know what I mean? Um, so, all right. Here's what we're gonna do. Uh, first of all, uh, thank you for sharing your story uh, of the world of bartending. Um, you know, this is uh, again. I feel like these are the most fascinating stories uh, ever. Are from what happens from behind a bar and the people you meet and the experiences of how you got in the game. It's always it's always different for everybody, and I, I, sure. I come to value these. But what we're gonna get into now is we're gonna get into our next segment of the show, which is questions for the guest, right? So this is where uh, I ask you five questions, right? And, uh, you know, you give your best and honest answer, and uh, and it's going to be dope. So, question number one. What is a misconception people have about being a bartender?
1: I think the biggest misconception is that we're all like life of the party players and that we sleep with everybody that comes to our bar i mean
0: Mm -hmm. i
1: I certainly know that i have uh a masculine uh projection that i give off (laughs) and that i'm I'm the the quintessential adonis of of male handsomeness but
0: Right, right right contrary
1: to popular belief i don't sleep with everybody that comes to my bar and neither does the majority of bartenders uh you know, it's a job. It it pays our bills, and we like to be like part of our job is to be sociable and to be amicable, and to kind of uh, pull the right strings with people when we need to. You know, and it's almost kind of like stripping while keeping our clothes on. You know, like we <laughs> we want to we want to placate people. We want to we want to you know we want to rub them in the right way. But it, that's part of the job. That's part of you know it's part of paying our bills. It's part of getting good tips. Right. And, it, it is. Like, we want people to have a fun time. We want, we want to give people a good experience. We want people to live, laugh, and love when, right. when they're at our places.
0: All right. So, now, question two. What's the biggest tip you've ever received as a bartender? The biggest
1: tip I ever received as a bartender... I think the biggest tip I ever received, period, uh, was actually when I was serving tables. So... Okay. One night at Zarella, I was serving this table and it would be really interesting to know because I didn't recognize them as like any household names or anything, but they clearly had money. So this is a table of about 20 people that sat at like seven o'clock and left at about 1130. Oh, wow. So they, you know, appetizers, entrees, desserts, you know, the full course Plus, like another bottle of Patron, like every hour or so, Oof. they were just ordering bottles of Patron. Uh, so Oof. their bill came out to about a little over two grand. And at that point, we were able to add the gratuity onto the check. Yeah,
0: so, yeah. yeah. Uh,
1: so you know, the bill comes out and it comes out to like twenty five hundred dollars uh, with the the gratuity included. And uh, the guy, the the host of the party, went. Uh, Hey, man, you guys were great. You know, we had a great time tonight. And uh, I appreciate, you know, you guys, you know, giving us so much of your time and effort. So uh, just give us the bill, whatever. And he, it, like, so we gave him the bill. He paid with his credit card. And uh, we gave it back to him. And obviously, like, the, the $400, etc., was on it. And he goes, like, hey, you know, like, I just, you know, a little extra on the side. Just, you know, just as appreciation. So he ended up giving us, like, another $200. Whew. So Jesus. all in total, um, I split this table with one other server, and so in total, like we, the the tip was like five hundred and fifty bucks. So I ended up making two hundred and seventy dollars just on this one table. God damn! Not to mention everything I else made for the rest of the night. Oof!
0: That is uh, well and well earned too. I mean, yeah. it isn't yeah. like a one shot deal. Like you work a table of twenty, that's worth you know that. Now, question number three, what is your biggest pet peeve of a customer? What's the one thing that you're like, you know what, I don't want you to do that.
1: I feel like this is the most cliche answer that a bartender can give, but it's it's the God's the honest truth. With um, with anybody who's who's kind of so indecisive, that mm. they just go, so what do you have? And I'm like, vodka gin rum tequila whiskey scotch bourbon brandy like and and they're like oh what what do you like like what's what's something that's sweet and i'm like well do you like creamy do you like chocolate do you like fruit do you like something that's citrusy like so anybody who has no concept of of what they want and they just ask the bartender give me something that's good Mm -hmm. that's the worst line you can ever hear as a bartender "Give, give me your best drink
0: yeah, you know, that. I, I hate
1: that. I'm not putting a feminine spin on that, but like, it's. <laughs> Look,
0: you know, I will say, like, you know, as cliche as it is, it's like, be ready when you get there, right? Sure. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you're not, you're not wrong for it. I guess. Don't feel any sort of way about the cliche because it's true. <laughs> Just I feel
1: like if, you, if you go to a hospital, you're like, I don't know what hurts. Just cut me open and find out. Yeah,
0: you know what? Just one of those. Find out what's wrong with me. I'm not Something sure what hurts. it
1: is. You know, just just you know, figure it out. Yeah, just, just uh, out.
0: I don't know, arm, leg. You you figure it out. No, you yeah. need to tell me what it is so we can do this. Now, question number four: If you owned a bar, what would you name it?
1: Wow, putting me on spot here. Uh,
0: These are the tough ones. What would James. I name my bar? These are the tough ones.
1: Atlas. Atlas. Oh, nice. Atlas. I like that.
0: I like it. I. Um, I uh,
1: God. it's kind of traditional it uh I grew up on Atlas Street and I grew up like my house my parents' house was kind of like in the shadow of these massive like fifty foot elm trees
0: mm. um,
1: and like so at like four or five o'clock like the shadows of those elm trees would kind of like creep into our living room and like as a kid, I would just like sit in the living room window and just kind of like stare out in, like, the shadow of, like, like I said, these, like, massive elm trees. So that's always kind of been, like, a reoccurring theme for, for my life is just growing up as strong as these and as long as these elm trees have and, like, growing up in the shadow and then becoming the shadow for somebody else and inspiring somebody else to grow up strong.
0: That's dope, man. I like that. I like it. All right. Question number five. Final question. What is your favorite drink to have? Not to make, but what do you like to enjoy? Beyond a shadow of a doubt, a
1: Maker's Mark Perfect Manhattan with a charred orange peel. Damn.
0: That is... That all is, day, every day All day every. I like it. Maker's Mark, you know, I, uh, I'm more of a I'm vodka dude, but, you know, obviously if it's thrown my way, I'll, I'll drink it. And yeah, like a, a good Maker's Mark uh, does hit the spot. You know what I mean? Um, so, alright, these are our five questions, now we're gonna get into my favorite part of the show, which is, what were you drinking? Now, this is the part of the show where I go through my Facebook timeline, which is messy as fuck, and I'm going to read a post, and you as a bartender, having seen people drunk off of so many different things over time are going to tell me what you think they were drinking. Now, obviously, uh, you know, if, you, if we need clarifying questions, feel free to ask. But uh, I'm going to get started. Away we go. <clears throat> sometimes in this world, people don't know what they're talking about. They think they know something, but they're totally wrong. And then there's something that they get upset about, but they just have to live with it. I don't want a big argument, but sometimes shit runs downhill... God bless America. Oof. That's that's a lot.
1: That's a lot. That's a lot to take in. What I think they're drinking Mm -hmm. is probably either a gray goose or Tito's martini. Ooh or a gray goose slash Tito's and soda.
0: I'm, I'm, sensing, Double. I'm
1: sensing light sensing here.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm
1: sensing the light, the light end of the spectrum here.
0: Okay, all right. So, you know, I I can see kind of where we are in that, like, this is very passive-aggressive light. Like, I'm mad, but not really mad, but I'm going to let you figure out why I'm mad, but I'll be very vague about it. God bless America. Like, I'm trying to be above this, but I'm not.
1: And the fact that they're holding up their martini glass with their pinky finger mm. out mm-hmm. makes you think that there's a problem. They're not going to tell you,
0: but you until need to it's figure- too late. Until it's too late. And then, you know what? You should have figured it out, even though I'm giving you nothing but vague uh, answers. Or vague. Bringing nothing right. to the table. Right? I'm bringing nothing to the table but making the emotional labor on you to figure it out. Um, F- and that is what a Grey Goose and Tito's uh, could do. Now, that is, uh, so that is What Were You Drinking, Um, you know, our final segment of the show. Uh, You know what, Uh, James, I want to thank you for coming on. Uh, This has been so much fun. Uh, This is our first first episode of Season 3, so I'm very excited to uh, have you as our inaugural guest uh, on here. Now, uh, before we get out of here, is there anything you want to plug before we go, like your Instagram or your Twitter? Like, what do you... Yeah, anything where people can find you?
1: No, I suck. <laughs> no, like, I mean, like, my, my name is James Mugomar, and you can find me on Facebook or whatever. I'm going to start doing uh, more live shows around here and start kind of producing okay. and being more behind the scenes. But, like, hey, check me out. I'm pretty fucking cool.
0: Yeah, man, you are a cool dude, and you know I only. Thanks for having me here, man. This was fun. I'm glad. I'm glad you enjoyed, man. I did. I do, and you know, of course, I only bring on cool people on the show. I make it a personal statement not to have any shitty people. Uh, So go find him. Uh, Very super cool dude. Uh, I'm very excited to uh, kick this off Uh, again. If you want to find the show, you can do that. Openbartalk at gmail.com is a place to hit me up. And uh, Open Bar Talk on Instagram is another good place. And, of course, every Thursday, Friday, uh, we roll out saucy stories. Uh, you know, so they're always super fun. They are stories of my wild days uh, in the bar scene. Uh, if you want to find me personally, I'm at JimSearch on all social media. com is the website. Uh, and I feel like, oh, uh, yeah, that's it. Um, so, you know, if you want to find like show dates, I mean, we're in the middle of a pandemic, so I don't know what comedy will look like when this comes out, but we're going to be optimistic and say that the world will reopen and that live comedy can happen in its purest form. So rate, review, subscribe, go find the show on everywhere you find podcasts. It's super easy to get to it because we're on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Uh, you know, give five stars. You know, iTunes is weird. You can only give five stars. You can't give anything less. I don't know why it is, but that's just what it is. You just have to click five. I'm sorry. Um, And on that note, we are going to get up out of here. Once again, James, thank you, bro, uh, for coming through. This has been super fun. And uh, make make sure you put a water between each drink, and we'll catch you on the next one. Peace. (laughs)